This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Change comes from within. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Alex Dimitriou. He brings a deep respect for science and spirituality into his work. Professionally, Alex is dual board certified in psychiatry and sleep medicine. As a consultation psychiatrist, he specializes in the complex interplay between the mind and body. In his work, Dr. Dimitriou helps his patients optimize peak performance by day and peak restorative sleep by night. He has been nationally recognized by the New York Times, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Psychology Today, NBC News, among other media. Alex also serves as a medical reviewer for Business Insider, the Sleep Foundation, and is a contributing author to the Encyclopedia of Sleep Medicine. Dr. Dimitriou completed his training in the Stanford Division of Sleep Medicine. Through the optimization of wake and sleep, he has brought truly amazing outcomes to the most challenging of cases. A thorough understanding of neuroscience and pharmacology are applied to attain the most minimal, efficient, and holistic solutions possible. Beyond repair, he strives for enhancement, optimization, and longevity. Science and psychology are applied to enhance joy, creativity, cognition, and performance. Away from work, Alex lives to be in the ocean, sailing, kiteboarding, surfing, and spending time with his family. He is currently writing a book about the interplay of therapy and medication, and is involved in the development of Brain Food MD, a natural brain-boosting supplement. Meet Alex at brainfoodmd.com. Here's the interview with Alex Dimitriou. In your own words, who is Alex Dimitriou? Hi, Valeria. It's great to be here, first of all, and I wanted to thank you for having me on the show. Alex Dimitriou is currently a psychiatrist and a sleep specialist in Silicon Valley, former New Yorker, born in Romania. I would say that ever since growing up, I always wanted to be a computer scientist, and it amazed me how you know physics and engineering can be applied to understanding things. And uh, somewhere along my career path, I realized that the human brain is the coolest computer and thinking machine known to all of us, uh, in, as far as we know in the universe, for now at least. And uh, and I thought it was such an amazing privilege to work on something that is understood so poorly, and yet something like the human brain that has so much effect on how we feel and think every day. And I decided to kind of combine my love of engineering with my love of talking and working with people. And I feel very lucky and blessed to have this job where, you know, my job is to, to engineer happiness for a lot of people, 
or at least to engineer peace and uh, and longevity. And that really is the crux of my practice. A combination of sleep medicine in addition to psychiatry sort of really lets us address people's states, both by looking at daytime symptoms as well as nighttime symptoms. And uh, we really, in our practice here, you know, we see sleep as like the ultimate spa for the human mind. And uh, we help so many people just by helping them sleep better. It's amazing what the human brain can do when you leave it alone to take care of itself. And I'll never forget, there's a line, I think, by Alan Watts that I I always repeat in my head, which is, uh, the human mind is like muddy water. Leave it alone and it will settle itself. And in so many ways, that's kind of like the crux of what we do here, both restoring sleep and mood and performance during the day. That makes me think about the body itself, not just the brain, but the entire body, isn't it? What it needs is rest when we're not feeling right. And I'll be honest, to your point, I think, you know, we live in such a busy ADHD society. Like we're always in a rush. There's always 12 things to do. And there was a time when I I think before, you know, smartphones, there was a time when you would walk down the street and think about things, you know, and now you can't stand online or walk without, you know, checking your texts or or messages or or news. And, And I think the human brain really misses a lot of that quiet downtime. One of the topics that we discuss the most here is how to bring the peace to the mind. How can we be in the moment and just enjoy life as it is right now? That's one of the biggest topics of here on the podcast. My second official question to you is about mental health. How do you define what mental health is, Alex? It's a challenging question, and it seems that sometimes even the answer to that can change depending on you know where society is and what our role in society is. I think at the end of the day, the most important human trait that really sets us apart from animals even, and uh, what, what truly is a, a very powerful tool that we have is our ability for impulse control. What I hear so often in my work and what, I, what I'm writing about as well is that I think many of us know the right things to do, but we're not good at doing it. Right. <laughs> the example often given is that <laughs> some people I feel like, you know, it, if you were driving a car, it's like driving with two wheels in the ditch and two wheels on the road. And you know very well that the driving would be much better on just a little bit more to the left on the actual roadway. The steering wheel is stuck for many people. It seems tough to make the change, to do the things that you said you were going to do, whether it's getting to bed earlier or not eating after 7 p.m. or sticking to an exercise or a meditation regimen. And to me, a lot of that really comes down to impulse control, which is really tied in very closely with willpower. And it's our ability to say, I'm not going to let that event upset me. I'm going to move past it, but actually being able to do that. And I think that this ability, quote unquote, for driving or to steer and uh, see the potholes and avoid them, I think is a human superpower. And it's something that I think we can all harness and and exercise and, and get better at. But in the end, I think the goal isn't so much happiness because we all know, I I think a lot of biological systems really exist on balance. And I think for every happy moment, there's also going to be a a moment of feeling down. And uh, the human brain and the nervous system really functions on differences. So I think to say, hey, we, we wish people to be happy is only looking at half of the equation. I think it's okay to to have feelings. It would just be nice if we had some better ability, perhaps the wisdom to choose where we focus. A mentor of mine told me that the goal of all the work that he does with his patients and we do together is not to make you smarter, but to make you wiser. And so many times I think it comes down to like, you know, 
the serenity prayer, right? Uh, which has that last part in it, which is like, you know, the, the wisdom to know the difference, when to apply yourself and when not to, and, and being able to actually stick to that. And to me, that, that does also come back maybe to impulse control or our willpower, but it's really that ability to say, I choose not to get preoccupied with something, or I choose to exercise or to sleep or to spend more time with my family and being able to stick to that. And I think that's becoming increasingly hard, though a lot of data, you know, there's a great book called Sapiens, which talks about, you know, it, it raises the question, you know, humans right now live like kings compared to how, you know, a king lived 100 years ago. We're all living like kings. You know, we eat berries in the winter. We have warm water. We have running toilets. We have, uh, you know, roofs over our heads. And uh, our, our biggest concern is our likes on Facebook, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but in his book, he, he brilliantly raises the question of like, are we any happier now than we were a hundred years ago? Mm. And truthfully, I think happiness is is more internal than that. And I think all these external things, whether they're good or bad, in the end, I think wherever you go, there you are to a certain degree. Mm. And that's going to be nuanced by our biology and our psychology, our life experiences, and all of those coming together really to kind of create that wisdom that I think is, is really, I suppose, to, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, <laughs> I think the goal is to be wise and to know which battles to pick and uh, and to be able to stick to your plan. Mm, I love that. Uh, I love your wisdom, Alex. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It makes a lot of sense to me. Different than like brute force or intelligence, even. It's something finer than that, I think, you know? Yes. You know, you make me think about spirituality, the ideas, concepts of spirituality. Mm -hmm. What are your spiritual ideas, visions? Do you have any spiritual belief systems? There's an interesting way I look at this. I often tell my patients that if you think you are the top of the food pyramid or the top of any pyramid, <laughs> the only way left is down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think true. it's, it's uh -huh. good something over, <laughs> over us. Yeah. That gives hmm. us something to aspire to and something yeah. to believe in. I'm definitely not saying it has to be Buddha, Jesus, or any spiritual leader in any way. I think for many people, it could be nature. It could be love. It could be any one of many virtuous things that just gives us a sense of something greater. Yeah. It could be as simple as like the goosebumps that you get from a, a thunderstorm or a hmm. beautiful musical piece. you know. But it's that feeling of, wow, the sublime, that, that there's something there that transcends our existence. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we all need to believe in something. And it's important, I think, to have a certain amount of ignorance is a very hard word, but there is some, you know, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And we all need to dream a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and suspend. And, and do we need to be ignorant to dream? Tough semantic question there. But mm -hmm. the point mm -hmm. being that we yeah. all need to live over reality a little bit and believe in something that might not be real to a certain extent, because that's what a dream is. And in many ways, I think if you look at human life, isn't it really a dream in the end, if you think about it, you know, right, right. I have patients with severe depression. And thankfully, the people I've seen with this are few, but there's people with nihilism. And people with nihilism will say, what's the point of brushing my teeth, getting up, going out of the house, falling in love, if we're all going to die anyway? Hmm. And I'll be honest, I, it's sad a little bit, but there is truth to that. It's right. Like, we are all, all going to die. But the question <laughs> yeah. is, can you live the dream in the meantime, because the dream involves forgetting that a little bit or distancing yourself from a little bit of that reality. So you're not just a pile of carbon atoms waiting to decompose. I often joke that, you know, we all start our lives, I think, as Buddhists, where we're, we're <laughs> you know, milk and, and food yeah. and, and, 
fighting over toys, mine, not yours. <laughs> but I think at the end of life, our goal is to become Buddhists. Mm. Um, and I don't mean literally Buddhist, but I mean that that mindset of, you know, you're not a pile of carbon that's going to decompose, but you're going back to the sea of the cosmos. You are not an individual against the world, but you are a part of this beautiful thing. And I think those sort of like transcending ideas, especially as we as we go through life, I, I think are, are fundamental to us finding happiness and peace in our in our daily lives. Uh, yes, a trillion times to that. I love the way you speak, Alex. Thank you. Thank sharing. you, Valeria. Yeah, sharing your heart. It brings me yeah. tremendous joy. Yeah, I can see that. And another open question. I think you touched on that already about the uh, purpose of the human experience. That might be just to be here <laughs> and to kind of embrace the dream as it, it unfolds right now. Yeah. And then um, we don't know what, what's going to happen after, although some of us claim to know. But as a whole, do you have any idea of what the purpose is of the human experience is? It's a tough call. Um, it could be as simple as mainly, you know, I, I think I, I haven't read the book, but I, I, I've heard the, the topic, which is Richard Dawkins, The Selfish Gene. They say that in the end, we are just reproductive machines at the mercy of our DNA. That's almost on that spectrum of Darwin Buddha, which I always look at. That answer is very biological, very, very like, you know, uh, tangible uh, and material. And that's on Darwinian side of things. Right. In that, and I use the term Darwinian loosely here, but I'm, I'm referring to, you know, ego-centered versus ego-solved, reality-centered versus dream-centered. So I, I think on one level, you know, our purpose as humans might just be to reproduce. But when you start getting above the biological level, you know, you start looking at like even the spiritual realm, like what is the point of all this? And I think there's questions there that I don't think I have the answer to. I don't think anybody really has the answer to for that matter. Right. But um, gosh, it's a beautiful ride, this life that we have. Yeah, I agree. And there's so many powerful experiences to be had. I've often told my patients that are in deep depression, like, you know, in some ways, like you've been admitted to this beautiful theme park. And there's mm. all these rides you go on while you're here. We know you're going to leave at the end. Yeah. But have you lived? Mm. Have you played? Have you loved? Have you lost? Have you suffered and have you felt bliss? Mm. Could be that somewhere in that beautiful rainbow of those experiences is is something that maybe after death it all makes sense, you know? But yeah. certainly <laughs> moment, it's beautiful. And it could be that maybe the, the sole purpose of human existence is to feel and to experience the world and the universe. And if that's the case, then it's a beautiful experience. And we should think about, you know, dialing ourselves and taking care of ourselves in a manner that makes us open to this experience. Because, you know, you, you could be at the theme park and sitting at the cafeteria, or you could be riding the roller coasters, or you could be doing nothing at all. And we don't know what the end outcome is, but you'll definitely have more fun if you go on some rides. That sounds good to me. Yeah, this metaphor of the park. There's scary parts of the rides too, and there's right. suffering, and there's pain, but mm. maybe it's feeling that range of emotions from high to low that is the human experience. The alternative is complete like flatness, and that doesn't sound like too much fun. <laughs> it doesn't, I it's agree. It's certainly safe, I think, you know, but in the end, it seems like a lost opportunity. <laughs> I agree. I love your wisdom, Alex. It's very profound, very profound. And I know you're writing the book, so talk to me about that. Is the title of your book, the book that you're writing, a Meditation or Medication? That's the title. So the book really describes a lot of the work that I do. 
So I, I believe in a biopsychosocial spiritual model. In psychiatry, we've often had a biopsychosocial model, which is a, a great way to look at things, right? There's a biological piece, a psychological piece, and then a social piece. I actually think we should add to that a spiritual piece because that might be all-encompassing and it might also be at the root of our own psyche and ourselves. The spiritual piece is interesting because it's both on the outside and on the inside. In this book, you know, we, we talk about this balance between Darwin and Buddha and these drives as we go through life. You know, I, I think fundamental to a, a lot of the human experience is this like, you know, how much should I care, right? Uh, we, we bring up the example, the, the classic story of Aesop and uh, the, the ant and the grasshopper, right? So that the ant prepared for the winter time and didn't starve and the grasshopper enjoyed and played all summer and starved when the when when the cold months came. So that always begs this question of how much to be versus how much to strive. And that kind of comes back to that Darwin Buddha question, which is to me, Darwinism is striving, it's competing, it's wanting to be better. Buddhism is accepting and finding happiness in what is. The book goes into that quite a bit. I also think that there's a lot of people that sometimes try different modalities without success for too long. I've seen too many people using, you know, relaxation apps at three o'clock in the morning without success for four or five years in a row. Or people that are in therapy for 10 years also with mixed progress. I've had patients that did everything from ayahuasca ceremonies to cold showers to Wim Hof breathing and other such techniques. I believe completely that those things can help, but I also think we need to pay attention to the people for whom they don't. Mm. And part of the book also, as a psychiatrist, I really want to stay balanced. To me, the, the title meditation implies every psychological intervention there is, and medication speaks to more of the biology. And the point I'd like to bring up is that at some point, you know, people, some people just need to wear glasses mm. and being told to squint harder or avoid dark rooms and all that is, is workable. But I, I see a lot of human suffering when people are told to try harder or they're too to get a, a diagnosis of anxiety, all too common, or a diagnosis of depression. And the avoidance of that leads to so much human suffering, especially because I, I kind of see the people that have tried it all and it hadn't worked. Oh. You know, in the end, speaking to that experience of life also, being in, a, in the wrong headspace results in so many missed magical moments. I cannot tell you how many people I've worked with where, you know, family gathering, dinner, Everything is great. The parents, the kids, the family, the friends are there and they're preoccupied with nonsense. Wow. Yeah. Stressing over the stupidest thing. And, you know, we all talk about mindfulness and non-presence, but a lot of that, there is some wiring that can predispose us to be that way. Yeah. You know, and uh, some of the most powerful lessons I've learned between for biology and psychology, I think anybody that's had children will realize that kids are born different, Valeria. Mm -hmm. They were too young. Sometimes you see the difference when they're like already a year old. Yeah. They're too young to even say they learned that or they got that from their dad or their mom. Right. But the same way, like our vision can be different, our blood pressure can be different, our mm -hmm. mood state, our stickiness and, and our biology can, can be different. And, uh, and some people, I, I think, you know, to use the metaphor, really benefit from putting on a pair of glasses. Mm. And, and others, I, I just worry, you know, suffer for a long period of time trying to squint through life. I know I had a hard time to, um, I would say, probably five years ago, agreeing with that, <laughs> that medication and sometimes in the sense of pharmaceuticals, that is important, that has to be conceded to. But now I see, I talked to lots of people and um, I talked to somebody yesterday, actually, as a matter of fact, he has been depressed for all his life and he still takes medication is the only thing that helps him. He tried everything, and then he tried a combination of them, and now he's on one that's really working. 
And, and I'll be honest, I, for me, meds are by far not the immediate go-to. The book's title is about meditation and all the benefits, I think, of you know getting good sleep, the habits during the day, practicing impulse. One of the ways I also look at my work with my patients, like I, I kind of like to use a fractal model. So in the fractal, you know, you have the same pattern that repeats at different scales. So if you want to change a habit, you start small. You know, I, I call it like, you know, you practice driving in the parking lot, not on the highway. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I believe in like, kind of like avalanche effect, right? I think if you do enough small things correctly and consistently, you start yeah. building something bigger and more positive. How do you know when to medicate, Alex, instead of keep trying the alternative medicines like meditation and diet, sleep? At the end, you know, we'll, we'll have everyone... Everybody I see these days, I'm, I'm often recommending, you know, let's optimize sleep. I, I call it S-E-M-M, which is yeah. sleep, exercise, Mediterranean diet, and meditation. Mediterranean diet, you know, depending on whether you're vegan or, or non, there's variations of that. But it's basically eating healthy, taking care of the physical vessel um, that right. is our body and our, and our mind and our brain, I should say. And I think, you know, everybody like should give all of that a fair chance, uh, you know, in there certainly is also, you know, social interactions and so many other things that I think can make us happy and reducing stress and all that. But I think there's people that truly have tried that for a long time. One of the, you know, in, in, at least in psychiatry, one of the key questions is like, is, is there starting to be a life impact from something or in somebody that's um, it's, it's one thing when you have a low mood, it's another thing when you have a low mood and now you, you don't want to see your friends anymore. You're not eating and you're not taking care of yourself. Another way I look at this is like for a lot of our spiritual energy, I, I call them heart bubbles. And literally, it's like a bubble that starts in your heart. And I think that that bubble, depending on your mood state, can get bigger and bigger. So when the heart bubble gets bigger, now you have enough energy to take care of your body because your body is a heart bubble. Bigger yet, now it's your spouse, your family, your children. Bigger yet, it's friends. And when you get a really big heart bubble because you're in a good space, manifest that you're kind to strangers. And you have love to give. On the other side of that, I've seen people with depression where that heart bubble becomes so small that they don't even take care of themselves. In those instances, I think it is time to kind of intervene a little more aggressively when somebody doesn't have the energy to shower, to eat, to get to work, or they have you know temper problems, lashing out at people on the road or, or spouses or pets at home. And you know there comes a certain point where you realize like you don't have enough to care for yourself. And I think it's essential to kind of understand, like, how, where are you? You know, between, how big is your heart bubble? Yeah, I like that. I never heard that way, too. The heart bubble. I think, Valeria, we've all had that feeling. And it's a beautiful feeling, isn't it? It's that yeah, it's, yeah. I've got love to give. <laughs> yeah. Like, I care about everyone around me. I have enough love to give them. And it would be so wonderful if more of us could be in that state longer. You mentioned earlier something that caught my attention. The brain, the mind, do you see them as the same thing or somehow different? Uh, that, I think that, again, straddles that question of biology or spirituality yeah. or psychology. Right. And, uh, you know, in many ways, I think our physical bodies are the stem from which the spiritual and mind flower can bloom. Mm. I feel like we are sort of like the soil and these beautiful things can grow from the soil. And that's our happiness, our love, our, our, our ambitions, our dreams, and all these like non-tangible, fuzzy sort of things. Hmm, I, I yeah. think that there's a biological basis, but then there's some pretty magical stuff that can grow out of it. It's just a matter of kind of having the right conditions to grow some pretty flowers. And I wonder what comes first, what originated or created the soil, as you call it, 
the body, nature, everything that we see here that's physical, what is the origin of that? Some say it is the mind. Actually, we have not created, but we are imagining everything as in a dream. I've heard those theories too. Right. If the question is like, why does this exist? That's a, a very deep question. Uh, I've, I've read a bit on quantum theory and, uh, you know, they talk about wave particle duality and that there is some possibility that we live in a quantum world. Right. And, uh, maybe human awareness, conscious awareness, consciousness is what gives it, what locks it into a real state. Right. Um, it could be that our awareness is what creates the world around us. Hmm. Um, it could also be that we are just a byproduct of the world around us. And uh, mm. I've often thought that, you know, if you look at the course of, you know, human development or even the evolution of life in the universe, it's kind of interesting if you think about it, because in a universe that's slowly decaying, mm. sure, there, there's stars being born and, and life created, but generally the, the overall and the, the trend in entropy is toward, towards greater entropy, which okay. is things fall apart. Right. Human life in general is one of those eddies in the river that goes upstream, mm. right? Because it, everything is sort of falling down. Life is creation. Mm. And to me, that that's a fascinating thing. And I think, I don't know if our brains are advanced mm. enough yet mm. or ever perhaps to understand such things. Right. And, and this is to me also where spirituality and God kind of enters the picture. I've often thought, I think in, in Jewish faith, they say that, you know, you, you never write or say the name of God yeah. because you can't grasp it. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? True. And yeah. I think uh, truly when we start talking about spiritual things and, and things that are um, like, you know, what is the purpose of life in the universe? I think you get to questions that are, uh, you know, perhaps beyond our ability to understand as of now. Mm-hmm. We can definitely come up with models and say, you know, sure, you know, you get, you get some amino acids and some, you know, the methane and, uh, and suddenly you have, you know, you can start building the building blocks of life. But why does that happen? To me, that's as mysterious as... Uh, Mm-hmm. Where did the Big Bang come from, and why did it collapse into this uh, into galaxies and these like you know star clusters that we see and, and, and the, the shape of the universe? Why is it that way? Right. I, I think there's things that we just don't understand, and we might not ever understand. Yeah. So it goes back to the mystery, which goes back to what you said earlier about life is beautiful. Just if we stay present and we just. Uh, Uh, engage in that ride and just become more playful. I love this idea of being, yeah, more playful, play with it. But to build on your point even further, I think that comes back to that belief of something higher above you. I think that the sheer mystery of this, like it creates inevitably a sense of awe. As as you look at like a Hubble space image, you know, a Hubble space telescope image of a galaxy, like, God, that's spectacular, (laughs) you know, or even the music that like elevates or moves you in a way. Those are the mysterious things that we don't have words for always. But that wonder and that mystery is it kind of puts us in our place and also reminds us that we're part of something magical. I love you how deep you, you get into these things <laughs> from a scientific and then spiritual, that bridge, uh, that dance between science and spirituality. I love that, Alex. Thank you again for your presence here today. I, that's my addition to this, uh, you know, to this dialogue. And, uh, and that's the work that I do with my patients, too. I, I think, you know, yeah, we need a, yeah. in our daily lives, I think there's always this balance between the dream and reality. Mm, and uh, yeah. my latest thought is that really you can have the willpower to make that shift. Because I've thought about it, even like this Darwin Buddha balance, right? We all know that there's times in our lives when you need to kick butt and get things done, you yeah. know? And there's other times when like, it's okay, you're, you're good. Enjoy what you got. So you realize that it's not a matter of being a Darwinist or a Buddhist always. 
mm. but rather ugh, being able to shift gears or drive the car left and right when needed. <laughs> like there's yeah. a time to fight and there's a time to enjoy and relax. And that ability is the goal. What comes to me is, but what drives us to make those choices? I know we can explain it away. As you said, we can try. Oh, it's because I ate this, because I had these conversations, because I read the book. But in the end, I don't know if I believe in free will, Alex. I think mm -hmm. we are just life itself doing what it does in this network of, uh, of systems and everything is interconnected. There's no reason to be really, but it is. I agree. I think, you know, there's such complexity yeah. that uh, yeah. the idea of fate, it just seems unnatural, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it isn't like, I guess if there was a musical style to define life, it would be jazz, right? It's, it's improv. It's like, what, what's the drum guy? What's the drum right. player? <laughs> yeah. And let, let's work with that. If you come back to it mathematically, there's so many things interacting that it just becomes its own organism and its own you know, improv. I have heard from a scientist that I interviewed, a physicist, where he says, you probably heard about him. He's a, a Fridjof Capra. He's from Germany. I, I haven't. There's a lot of systems, even made by humans, that can become like their own, you know, the, develop a life of their own. Right. Seems like, yeah. They said that the internet, back in the day when there was like, you know, 10 users on the internet or even 100, you know, you could predict traffic patterns and you could predict what the thing was going to do. Right. When the yeah. internet became a million computers interconnected with another million computers, which, by the way, starts to look like the human brain, yeah. right? You have like yeah. 100 billion neurons with a lot of synaptic connections. Mm -hmm. yeah. Things become unpredictable even right. though each piece mm. is quite simple. And I think that's kind of like the good analogy, I think, for like the experience of life. I think, you know, any, any given decision, any given moment is pretty straightforward, but they come together into this like unpredictable, fuzzy soup that things are going to, you know, surprise you. And, uh, and, and some things won't, and, and, uh, and, and, but the variety keeps on, on coming. It is amazing, yeah, how... It came to be just uh, parts acting like um, they are independent from one another. It just seems to be, but it's not. I remember he said, uh, Fridjof Capra, he said, life is a dance with no music. And then there are no dancers, but just the dance. I'm paraphrasing him. But basically he said, there's no dancers in this life, only the dance. Yeah. Which means it's the whole system dancing through the parts, life itself kind of moving through everything there is in doing what it does. Incredible. You raise a, a great point again, though, which I think comes back to that question of how much should we try to dance in this? You know, mm, like, yeah. What is the balance between fate, will, and what we want versus jamming and improving with what's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, I think, like most things in nature, there's a balance. Nature tends to not like extremes, I think. Uh, yeah, and in a yeah. case like that, that balance of like, like mm. how much do I do the dance that I want to dance <laughs> versus wait, nobody seems to be doing, you know, uh, the, the Macarena or whatever dance they're doing. Right? <laughs> yeah. do I, you know, and that's that balance between um, observing and being versus willing and, and striving. And there, I think in the end, you know, the, the best dancer in that scenario would be the one that's the most adaptable. So when you talk about nature itself, doing what it does, being flexible and adapting, I wonder how can you apply to that when we think about, let's say, an apple tree. It cannot give oranges or any other kind of fruit but apples because it's an apple tree. I wonder what the balance is there when it comes to that because it's in place, it's here for a reason in a way. 
to give apples, not something else. So I think about human beings the same way. Whatever we are here to do, whatever we are here to be, it's it's already is. We're already doing it. We don't need to try too hard or fight or resist anything because it's already doing its job. It comes to me, the message comes to me this way for some reason. If we use that apple tree analogy, I would say that, you know, the, it's got certain rules that it follows, right? Mm, the apple yeah, tree course. will go water, it'll grow against gravity, and it'll look for sunlight. But I, I think definitely, like, like for ourselves, there's certain fundamental housekeeping things that are essential. The apple tree also probably does the best darn job it can making apples. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> you know, it's yes. the best that you can do and that you are. It's realizing mm-hmm. these are, this is your, your ability and perhaps at least before you start thinking of making oranges, like think about have you made apples the best way? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because I immediately, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, well, does that mean that, you know, somebody says, well, I'm just not, I'm never going to be able to achieve something or, or do something. Mm, mm. And there's a lot to be said about the power of human striving to achieve unbelievable goals. Mm. And, uh, and we've all heard incredible success stories of people that have done all sorts of things. On balance, I also like to say that we also don't hear about all the people that tried and didn't. Mm. I think as we look at you know all the self-motivation and self-psychology books, I, I think it's important to keep things on balance. Every time we look at a hero or a success story to realize that there's also a lot of people that tried and they didn't have success. Right. But they did the best and they deserve credit for that as well. And that kind of comes back to the question of striving. Yeah, right. To strive and, and when to say that you've done your best. I think one point is that, you know, I think when you're striving becomes a source of unhappiness, when yeah, the apple right. tree like, is not a happy apple tree anymore, because of <laughs> yeah. that, then that would be a time for that wisdom to intervene and say, hey, mm. you do grow darn good apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because I have tried for so long my own life. You know, to be something that it was not natural. I was so unhappy. I was becoming depressed. It was just such a ah, a tough time. And then I realized that this is what I love to do. Like having this conversation with you here today and to write about the things that I write about, which is uh, all about inner peace, spirituality, and anything that's healthy, of course. And when I think about it, when I was really young, that's what I love to do also. So along the way, I just lost touch. I think I'm fortunate. I, I love my job. Mm-hmm. I, I also, I, I get to talk to people and, and ask questions and, and see yeah. what helps. I feel like I really have my finger on the pulse of a lot of people's well-being and, uh, and, and just to learn, you know, what makes people happy. To your point about, you know, expectations and uh, there's two quotes that, that come to mind real quick. I don't know if Elon Musk is the one that's, that came up with this, but he quoted at some point that, uh, Happiness equals reality minus expectations. Mm. And another person that I follow, mm. Naval Ravikant, a local here in Silicon Valley, has the line of saying that I think something to the point of uh, wanting things is making a contract with yourself to be unhappy until you get them. Yes, yeah. I, I'm, again, I'm going to bring it back to the wisdom because you kind of got to know what to aim right, for. Right. Because if you want to fly by flapping your hands, you're looking at a life of disappointment. Right. Right. <laughs> if I yes. aren't the apple tree that really wants to grow an orange, you know. Right. <laughs> yes, it won't work. It's having that wisdom to know when your efforts are met with reward versus at what point you should just kind of stop and do something else. Yeah, it goes back to wisdom. I agree. And you said that's how you started this conversation beautifully. 
Thank you so much, Alex. So I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions, but then I want to talk to you for a moment about the Brain Food MD. This is a company that you have created, it's a natural brain boosting supplements. And I looked on your website, it looks so good. I love the ingredients, as I mentioned earlier, off record. So talk to me for a moment about that. And I know it you have developed this company with Larisa, Larisa Dimitru, your mother. Larisa Dimitru, yeah, so that's my mom. And she has an amazing understanding and natural feel for a lot of these uh, supplements and herbs and spices that go into brain food. Our vision, you know, what I brought to brain food is the MD part. I'm the clinic. I was pretty determined to see that the things that are in there have significant, you know, scientific research behind them. A lot of the ingredients were researched and the doses perfected based on prior clinical studies. I think, you know, for anybody, whatever supplement you're taking, whether it's brain food or not, always look for the trials. If you're thinking to take ashwagandha, do a search for ashwagandha and PubMed, uh, P-U-B-M-E, and uh, you, you can read abstracts of actual scientific studies where they'll say, hey, we gave 200 people ashwagandha and 200 people didn't. And a month later, these are the differences. Oh, yeah. uh, in the world of supplements and, uh, you know, a lot of these aids, um, I, I think we run into the problem that like there isn't that much research and sometimes people are not very, you know, regular and systematic in how they take them. Right. Anyway, with brain food, we found a delicious combination of things that, you know, help mood and cognition. They help inflammation. There's antioxidant. A lot of the ingredients are antioxidant, antibacterial, antiviral. And globally speaking, the ingredients in brain food, the idea was like to to help the spirit. And by that, we mean anxiety, depression, energy, motivation, to help the brain. And that's mm -hmm. like more biologically, like cognition and neurogenesis, which is the growth of new neurons. And lastly, to help the body, which was like, you know, stress, inflammation, metabolic conditions and weight loss, and then the anti-cancer and antiviral properties. So it's a mix of, you know, it, it's got a bunch of mushrooms in it, chaga, reishi, lion's mane, but also um, maca, maca root, matcha, ashwagandha, spirulina, and a bunch of spices. And the idea truly with brain food is it's a synergy that a lot of these uh, ingredients have overlapping effects, but they also improve each other's absorption. And that was the idea. Kind of thought it was time for a product like that. And uh, I've drank it myself. My patients have taken it. My friends have taken it. It's a powder. You put it in your coffee or your tea or hot water. It usually works better if there's a little bit of an oil in there. And uh, for me, at least, it gives me, I feel like it gives me balance emotionally. It reduces my reactivity a little bit through the day. And uh, and I feel like a healthy, sharp level of focus that is a little smoother than coffee or matcha, I should say. And, and I can tell you that I've experimented with a lot of things, including yerba mate. And uh, the positive energy that I get with brain food for me has, has been delightful. We made it for our family and ended up turning it into a What a wonderful idea. I love the ingredients. You know, I have tried most of them separately, but not together. Exactly. And our hope was to just put them all together. I know. What a beautiful idea. Thank you so much, Alex and Larisa, <laughs> both of you. That's a, a gift to us. So I'll have the link of your website on the podcast profile. And you also are offering a 30% off. Yeah. So the audience can use the code fit for joy when it, the episode is published, of course, which will be two to three weeks from now. So is this valid for how many months, Alex? Well, it'll be valid for a while. So yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And I'll add the link with the code. I'll put them together on my website. So before we say goodbye, oh, we didn't talk about psychedelics. Oh, that's another topic I would love to talk to you about. 
but perhaps on another time we'll meet again. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back, but I, I'll globally say, you know, psychedelics might be really straddling that balance between biology and spirituality. Mm. I think we're seeing it there. And, you know, speaking more biologically, psychedelics also have been shown to enhance neuroplasticity and be agents of change. Michael Pollan in his book called them mental mutagens, which truly is what I think they are. But I think just to conclude the, the quick talk on that, you know, very careful what you're doing mm. with whom it's being done. And uh, because a lot of these substances really just like they increase your vulnerability and your suggestibility. Right. And I kind of feel like a lot of these substances kind of, you know, they gel the brain a little bit. And you yeah. need to be care very careful of what form is around the brain that it's going to re-solidify into. Mm. And by that, I mean, you know, the importance of like intention setting and therapeutic support and guidance. And uh, right. the surroundings are so important because uh, they're powerful and they can be powerfully good or powerfully bad. That is true. Although I have heard about microdosing. That's a much safer way of doing psychedelics, right, Alex? Yep. Large studies are still missing on microdosing. Yeah. There is belief that it might enhance neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. We're still waiting on larger trials to confirm that. We're almost at the end of the interview, but I do have a few more questions. I want to thank you again, Alex, for your beautiful wisdom, the way you communicate this message of health, well-being. Ah, and I love the way you bring together science and spirituality. It's just It's very close to my heart. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Made it very easy to express my own passion. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, two questions. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? I think it's like it's being at peace with what with, with where you are. You know, um, and I think in the end, to be honest, it, it probably comes back to simple things. I think you can gauge your success by, you know, is there love in your life for your, mm -hmm. for your spouse, for your parents, for your friends? Is there rest? Are you able to enjoy things? Mm. Are you able to you enjoy food? Mm. You know, because I think in the end, like at least it, it's nice to come back to the biological needs. Let's be sure that those are like well met and actually a source of joy. I think everybody sees kind of getting enough sleep and exercises, mandatory things, but it's actually do you enjoy it? Like I think to wake up and see every day as a gift, mm. perhaps the ultimate, you know, expression of success in a way. It's like To come back to the theme park analogy, like here we are, a brand new day. As I joke with my kids, you know, the coolest virtual reality experience you'll ever have is reality. <laughs> yes. You don't need to put on a headset. You can <laughs> biking down the street. So true. But can you enjoy it? Uh, so I think it's the ability to enjoy. Mm, Not wow. even necessarily having always what to enjoy, but just that being having on reserve that ability to just appreciate and enjoy things. Ah, I love your wisdom. <laughs> It's just incredibly beautiful and insightful. So my last question, it goes back to the same thing in a way, but I must ask, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? That's a tough one. I think, you know, certainly any transcendental experience, I think is a very powerful thing for humans to experience. I would clump that into the categories of, you know, love, certainly up there, gratitude, humility, feeling empathy. You know, if we spoke more specifically about experiences, I think just like being able to see like a, you know, a beautiful sunset and just like to have that feeling of belonging to everything around you. Mm. But I guess that kind of comes back to transcendence. So I suppose <laughs> answers would really be around transcendence and uh, finding those things that really make you feel part of something so much bigger and so much more special and, and magical and bigger than ourselves, at least our physical are 
and a lot of those things are are in that fuzzy realm of you know music and hugs and uh and joy and and bliss you know definitely i mean love is one that just kind of screams at you that, that that's a definite feeling i think everyone should experience at some point for anyone or for anything anything that makes you feel bigger than than your bodily self Thank you so much, Alex, again, for being you, for being open to life and letting this wisdom to flow so beautifully. Thank you. Valeria, I wanted to thank you for being, you know, a co-pilot or pilot or whoever you are, this journey, because I think any of us have the answers. And my hope, and I think yours as well, is to just find what truth we can and share it with the world. And my hope is that somewhere between everybody together, we'll find the real meaning and, and answers to the questions we have. I, I don't think anyone can do it and uh, it, it takes a village and uh, you're definitely a part of that thank you for the encouragement the body appreciates Alex <laughs> uh, it's the only part that complains sometimes before we say goodbye where can we find more information about you your upcoming book products services and future projects um, siliconpsych.com is, is our website that's that's our practice in Silicon Valley on there yeah we have a lot of like blogs I've written and uh, media posts and mentions and the book is still in the early phases, looking for an agent. So if anybody's got any ideas, <laughs> please contact. Ah, yeah. Good. <laughs> Everybody else, uh, you know, visit us on the website, uh, siliconpsych.com. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon, Alex. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Alex Dimitriou and his work, please visit brainfoodmd.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.